Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive, pun intended, your career forward. My guest today, Mike Metcalf and Sean Pete, who are both NASCAR pit crew coaches, business partners, and co-authors, and their new book that I'm holding up right now, 12 Second Culture, builds off of the work and practices of their consulting firm, DEC, where they empower businesses to increase their diversity, efficiency, culture, and kindness. And that spells deck for everyone following along at home there, playing along with us today. Um, and a bit of background on both. Sean played college hockey at Dartmouth. We were talking a little hockey beforehand. Eventually played in the minor leagues and the Calder Cup. That's pretty cool. That's that's making a man. Uh, where a chance encounter led him to change careers entirely. Sean joined the world of NASCAR when he was presented with the opportunity to work as a jackman in the pit crew. And I really read a little bit about being a jackman, so we'll talk about what that really means. And Mike started his career in NASCAR pit crew in 2006 and quickly rose through the ranks to eventually become a coach. And today, Mike is a pit crew head coach alongside Sean and is also very involved in the community. He's on the board of Running Works and the Daddy Saturday Foundation, where he works to improve the lives of people and their families. Good stuff, guys. So let's insert some kind of race car cliche, start your engines, whatever way you want to call it. I don't know. You guys have probably heard it before. But let's dig in. Mike and Sean, welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Great to be here, man. Thank you. Thanks, you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So, you know, let's get up to speed. I See, I wrote these things without the intention of having race car analogy, so I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to say it's a pun or a cliche, so we're just going to get into it. Um, but let's bring everyone up to speed um, on, you know, the journey into, into NASCAR, and especially being in a pit crew. That's not something, you know, I mean, let me take this back. I bet there's a lot of little kids out there that do aspire to be this, but let's talk about your journeys and how you got there. Um, you know, kind of quick, we don't have to get into too much detail, but Mike, tell us, tell us a little bit more about your journey to the world of NASCAR. Yeah, it was completely, uh, coincidental. Uh, even though I really don't believe in coincidences, it was just kind of destined for it to happen. I played football at Appalachian state, wanted to keep training, tore my ACL twice. And, but yeah, both of them at times were really, really set me back. And, um, honestly, I think I learned more in those two stretches uh, that would help me influence the way I coach and try to lead more than anything, you know? Uh, and so a lot of times our failures or our low moments are the things that are our best teachers, but, uh, wanted to keep playing. So I kept training against everybody's like, man, you got really no stats. You're injury prone. What makes you think you could be a professional, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. I just didn't, didn't want to stop. So I kept going and ended up getting some workouts and ended up linking up with the trainer that had gotten hired by, race car driver named Casey Kane. Um, he told the team that he worked with, hey, you got to get this guy in here. They did. The next year, the owner said, hey, let's get a bunch of athletes to be on the pit crew. And I had already had a relationship with that guy. He brought me in. I didn't know anything about racing. I'd never watched one. 
I never attended one. Like I didn't know anything about it. And I grew up in Charlotte, which is kind of the home of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I went up for a workout. It was to do all the same things that I had been doing, working, you know, bench press and 40 yard dash. I was naturally good at it. And, um, I picked it up fairly decent and that was like September. Um, I started January of 06 and then I was on the road full time and been on it since, awesome. um, February, like a month later, I was, I was on, I was in the show. So yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot harder to do that now. Uh, <laughs> if I started now, I, I don't know that I'd make it with some of these monsters we got coming in these days, but, um, I thank God every day. It was pretty cool, man. I'm glad that got the opportunity. Yeah, we're going to put a bookmark in the athleticism that goes into the pit car crew because I think for anybody who's not a racing fan doesn't really understand the amount of physical effort it takes. Sean, real quick, your backstory. Um, born on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, came to the States on a hockey scholarship, made my way to the American Hockey League, um, could barely skate, uh, was sent down um, from Wilkes-Barre to Greensboro, which put me in range of NASCAR. I was the catalyst of, of what has been called the worst brawl in East Coast League history. I was serving an 18-game suspension and met a fan in the stands who worked in NASCAR, and he found out my dad had a garage and uh, just kind of went from there, man. That's that's awesome. So let's let's quickly give everyone a little bit of background here. So every millisecond counts in auto racing, and it comes down to efficiency. It comes down to timing. It comes down to who could be quicker there. <laughs> Let's talk about, like, has this always been a thing in NASCAR, the athleticism that goes into the pit crew, or is it's like a newer kind of thinking? And let's let's talk about, all right, I think it's important, whoever wants to jump in here, let's quickly break down the, the process of when the car pulls in and what that team looks like and, and everyone's kind of function on the team. So I think that'll give everyone a sense of how fast they got to move. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a pit crew is made up of five members. So a guy like Mike, he has to tote a 100-pound can of fuel on his shoulder and have it plugged into a skidding race car in 0.3 seconds. There's a jack man who has to lift a 3,500-pound race car with one stroke of the jack, all the while the entire rest of the field is inches off his heels. So if you want to know what that feels like, go to the interstate, put your heels on the white line, and let traffic blow by you inches <laughs> away from you. And if that doesn't unnerve you, you have what it takes to be a jack man. Um, we have a tire carrier that has to carry two 65-pound tires to the right side of the race car, and have the tire mounted on the hub in 0.8 seconds. And finally, we have two tire changers that are tasked with hitting five lug nuts in under a second. So honestly, Adam, if you think about that, that's two-tenths of a second per lug nut. So if you, go ahead, if you go ahead and blink your eyes, that's two-tenths of a second. But in our world, like if you look at, if you look at how the fastest cars move, they move at 190 feet per second. So two-tenths of a second equates to 56 feet. 56 feet equals the difference between first and six at the Daytona 500. In money, it equals $1.1 million. So we have $1.1 million riding on two-tenths of a second. How much, real quick, like, I mean, how lucrative is it being in a pit crew for a, NASCAR, for a winning NASCAR team, man? Like, let's just give everyone a sense of it, right? Like, what's that I mean, look like? These like, guys are making six figures from 100 yeah. to 400. And, yeah. and they're flying private. I mean, you're treated better as a NASCAR pit crew guy than you are at in the American hockey league. Yeah. That's real, real money, real sponsorship. That's crazy. So we talk about the training. We talk about the, we're going to get into the recruitment process in a little bit, but like, let's talk about that training. Cause I thought it was pretty awesome in the book. I mean, this is like any other sport, right? You're, you're training, it's sequencing, it's teamwork. It's getting everyone involved there. It's a dance, man. Right? Like it, it's a dance. It's a choreography. Mike, talk to us a little bit about that choreography, right? What's that sweet, like the steps that go into it and like how, how do people also have to be a little bit adaptable? Cause right. That target car, 
car could come in, different angle, different speed, something could be off that needs to be fixed. What's that all about? Yeah, so we uh, we do movement based uh, kind of trying to reset body and mind on uh, on Monday. Generally, waste racing on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Tuesday is going to be film review, so you're going to look back at what you did at the race, like football, any other sport. Yeah, yeah, yep. film review. We got a, a data guy, we got analytics, we got a technical lead. So we're getting numbers and metrics on what we're doing, what other teams are doing, uh, where they're where we got beat, right? And uh, you analyze that and, and try to pick up, you know, wherever you can. Uh, drill day also on Tuesday. That's where we're gonna kind of plan for all right. The car is coming in this way, or it comes up high or low, or you know, the there's a lot of little technical nuances that maybe to the casual observer kind of all look the same, but we're all kind of dealing with different things with different cars, right? And so uh, Wednesday is a day where we're all working out together um, and we're all practicing together. That's our biggest day, really competitive. And then Thursday is kind of a final kind of polish. Uh, just anything that we missed, we want to retouch. And uh, all the while, there's a lot of just little things that we do. There's sometimes, like we had the uh, Wiffle Ball World Series last week because <laughs> we didn't get to do it during opening day because it was during uh, the, the Corona shutdown. So, um, so you, so you play you play all the pit crews? Is that the way it works? It's like a tournament? Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. have, uh, we have a, uh, we've got four prime main pit crews and then a couple in the developmental program. So we got about 30 people. So we do little competitions. Uh, some get intense, you know, we have to separate people every now and then. Um, right. <laughs> and, uh, but, but those are the, and then we do a lot of like volunteering and we're, we're no strangers to the Ronald McDonald's here house here, uh, orphanages, meals on wheels thing, anything where we can be competitive, but also do good. Um, we want to take away entitlement. We want to take away, um, just this, like, it's all about me. We want our group to feel like, Hey, we're doing pit stops. That's not anything significant, right? We're not curing cancer. We're not, uh, solving world hunger. You know, we're just putting tires and gas in race cars. So let's, let's have fun with that, but then also do something good. And that builds camaraderie that builds. Yeah, trust. absolutely. Trust is the biggest form of efficiency for any company. If you trust the people you work with, you can be fast. A hundred percent. And, we'll, we'll and Adam, sorry to jump in, but watching, seeing a NASCAR team do meals on wheels is ridiculous. Like we get pulled over by the cops. Every <laughs> I, was, time we do <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask questions too. Like what happens when like you guys get a flat tire out on the road? If, like if you see somebody on the road with a flat tire, be like, I got this, like I'm a, I'm a pro. I got to pull over and, and help them out with it. But it's really interesting too. So like, you know, when you get into the world of, of being on a crew, like how do you find your niche? How do you find your specialty? Is it like, is it a test and learn kind of thing? Do some people like, I love carrying gas, man. I'm a gas man. I'm going to get on that shit. I'm going to be the gas person. Someone's like, I'm the jack man. Like, how do, how do you know what your expertise is? Or maybe just someone's real quick with the lug nuts. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, you default to a body type, right? Like, so you're gas hmm. guys and you're jack guys. Um, you know, Mike has to tow a 100-pound can. Your jack guy has to jack up a 3,500-pound race car. Like, you got to be able to physically be, do it. Yeah. You got it. So they have to be like your bigger, like linebacker type guys is what you're looking for, big hockey players. Um, and then your tire changers, um, they're hand-eye. So you think of like middle infielders in baseball, you know, guys that are just, you know, we all have that friend that's really good at shooting pool and shooting yep. hoops. and like the agility just, guys. You the got head, it. The touch, you want, the touch guys. You got it. So you want guys um, – you know, there that, uh, you know, are, are good with that. And then your tire carrier can kind of be a hybrid. You know, we have, we have one tire carrier that was a red, uh, linebacker for the Redskins. We have another guy that we jokingly say was the E in the ECU flag when he ran out onto the field for the football games. He's like their, uh, uh, male cheerleader guy. So, um, it, it really runs a whole gamut of, of, of people. 
Yeah, I think I'd be the guy that cleans the windows. I think that would kind of suit me well. I mean, I'm real quick with that spray cam, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd be on that shit. Um, Mike, real, can you tell us like a real quick, like harrowing story, like because it's dangerous, man. You're freaking in there, like this shit. Like you just mentioned, this car's whipping by you, right? Let's talk about the danger. Let's let's give everyone a sense of how dangerous this is. Uh, I'd say probably the biggest hit was probably the best guy to take it was a uh, Graham Molach, who's a Navy SEAL. Um, we had two Navy SEALs within our program for a while, and that was fascinating. And, and maybe we'll touch on that later because they sure. they referred to all of us as 40 percenters, just the way that they used all of their physical capacity and mental capacity was was uh, was incredible to watch. And we learned learned so much for them. But uh, the brakes failed on a pit stop. And right when he's running out in front of the car, the car just hits him. Like his his full body is on the windshield, and oh, it just keeps him up into the next stall. I mean, it was a big hit. And the car's now, going full, full speed, right? I mean, it's I'm coasting really into the, it's it, coasting in, but the brakes aren't working. It's still going. It's yeah, so it's probably forty pit road speed can be anywhere between forty and fifty five miles per hour. It's a lot faster than you think when you're standing there getting hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and uh, and and one of our tire changers got run over in that one, and so that was a big one. We've had fires where we've had to get people put out. Fire, there's a fireman in each pit stall. You see the extinguisher come out. It's had to hit me a couple times as a fueler. Um, you know, you kind of can't think about it though. Is the crazy thing. You know, I mean, I, there's you so many out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, if there's two cars coming in at the same time, you just got to go for it and hope it works out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy for life. And you know, we're gonna get into hiring in a little bit. You know, but like, how do you guys, you know, hi like? What's that process like? I think there was a, a piece in the book that I read about Wednesdays. That's really the make or break day when you guys are doing your your auditions there. But like, you know, what's your interview and recruiting process for the team? So we do it differently than any other team in NASCAR, right? The other teams in NASCAR are, you know, going to the SEC or the Big Ten. And they want, you know, the kid that led the league in receptions or we don't we'll, we'll go with anyone in the country. But you're going to show up at eight o'clock at, at Ganassi and we have a a very highly curated first day that they have to navigate. And, you know, before we start, our number one recruiting criteria is we put nothing above being a world-class human being. If you're that, we can teach you how to be a, a NASCAR pit crew guy. But, you know, as a someone who evaluates talent, you know that we get people as their representative. We get the best version of themselves. So we need to peel those layers back. So we ask them to be there at 8 o'clock for practice. If they show up at 7.30, they're good. If they show up at 8, they're gone. Eight, you're late. Eight, you're late. Um, so then they're going to watch two and a half hours of practice. And, you know, there's a lot of dirty work, as you can imagine, in an NASCAR pit crew practice. There's dirty wheels, grease, and, you know, we got to clean all that stuff. If they jump into that work unprompted, it reveals a tremendous amount about their character, right? Not us saying, hey, go clean the wheels, if they just go do it themselves. And it's, it's putting things in people's way that they have to navigate that you don't know that you're evaluating them on. Right. I you mean, know? you said that you said that even in the book, which I found interesting, was that, you know, the hiring process is broken. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is what it is. And we're trying to make changes here. Myself included, I was a great interviewer. I could go in and I could ace any interview. It just comes naturally to me. I have a good looking resume. That's easy to tell. So anyone who's got a little bit of training and a little bit of charisma and character could go in and ace an interview. But that doesn't tell you shit when it comes to when the rubber hits the road. Right? See, I, I, I want to have a little point score here, how many times I could do this. right? But when the rubber hits the road and someone's in there, right? Like, how do you tell the true thoroughbred? And I think that these tests are really important. And how does that translate into the real world? And there's a lot of people that push back and they say, oh, why is this company giving me an assignment? Why are they giving me like a, you know, a, a mock you know, presentation to do? 
And that's because they want to see how you're actually going to perform and not just through the interview process. And I think people have to be um, a little bit more receptive to that. So I think that's 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 critical. And I certainly appreciate your training. Here. So let's talk about this pivot and let's talk about how you guys turn like this hands on experience into running a pit crew and that formula and the science that went into it for moving it into the business world. I mean, what's the motivation to really get into that and think outside of the uh, outside of the pit? Yeah, well, you know, so many people, it wasn't that we wanted to do it. It was kind of out of a, a, a need or a demand. Interacting with CEOs and CMOs at the racetrack, so many people would say, hey, how do I get my team to operate like a pit crew? <laughs> and we're like, you know, we should write a book, you know. Uh, right. Maybe maybe we have some ideas, not, not really giving ourselves much credit. And we realized that when we got to Ganassi Racing, where I'm sitting now, uh, the pit crews were outside of the top 20. And within the three years, we had groups in the top five. And it wasn't talent. It wasn't resources. We didn't go buy the best people or get the, the biggest, best building. It was, it was culture. <clears throat> it was kindness. It was how we treated and talked to each other. It was the expectations that we laid out. It was the hiring process that we changed. Uh, it was Love bringing it. diversity in. We knew that we didn't have all the answers. We were two guys that previously were players. We were asked to become coaches and reluctantly said yes. We knew we didn't have all the answers. So we wanted people that were different, that had different ideas, that were really good at what they did, that had just gotten fired. Um, and then that led to a lot of efficiency once we actually could come in together. So we threw that acronym up deck and just were like, this is us. And I love it. Speed is the currency of business. We, we really think that if you can be fast at what you do, you can be good. And we don't know a ton about business, <laughs> but we know a lot about speed. And we just feel like those things, if you can do them well, then you can be successful. I, I completely agree. And it translates. But, you know, faster isn't always better. Right. Efficiency. I'm a big believer in efficiency. But how do you balance quality, efficiency and speed? Sean, what's your perspective on this? I think in order to, to bring all three of those together and weave like an intentional congruence for your business, it starts with trust. That's the best way to quicken the pace of your business. If you and as a leader to create trust, your words have to parallel your actions. And I think that's where the big miss is a lot of these days. We're holding you know, we judge people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, right? So we're missing it. We're thinking, oh, this person could work harder, do this. You know, when was the last time you thanked them? When was the last time you called them outside oh, of work and said, real hey, gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. But intentional, right? Like being intentional about your culture, not just being like, okay, I just got five superstars from uh, Princeton, Yale and Stanford. Uh, go. You know, that just doesn't work. Like we, every day we work on our culture and, and make sure that our guys feel valued uh, when they come through the door. And and I say this all the time, what culture really means. And, and you guys hit the nail on the head there. It's feeling valued, right? Feeling appreciated, right? You can go into an office and it could have, you know, cold brew and beer on tap and ping pong tables and all the latest shit. That's not culture. Culture no. is feeling valued. Culture is feeling like, A, that you're making a contribution. Your, your contribution is appreciated and recognized. And, and that you have a clear trajectory of your career path, where you're going to go. And I think that translates into the pick arc crew, too, because there's a hierarchy, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure there's there's captains, assistant captains, right? There's a hierarchy on the team into leading the pit crew. But I want to talk now about, you know, diversity here. And it says on your on the deck website that diversity is not just a black and white thing. And it, it really boils down, like, you know, what does it boil down in its simplest form, Mike? Uh, to me, it boils down to sh the, the word diversity means wholeness. It means strength. Um, I, I tell people all the time, do you have a diversified stock portfolio? And the answer is always yes. And it's like, well, why? <laughs> like, well, you know, when one 
finances down, you know, energy's up, right? And it's like, thank you. Diversity doesn't mean black and white. It doesn't mean here goes the neighborhood. It doesn't mean, you know, there's there's so much and it's like, no, no, no. It just means bringing in people that are different, that have different socioeconomic, political, religious, like all that. I, diversity I of thought to, too. Diversity of thought. It's, so we say we have a team acronym, diversity of thought, experience, age, and motor. And so thought is, is that's, should be self-explanatory experience, whether that's experience in the industry. So we want people that know the industry well, people that don't. Uh, experience, life experience, you know, uh, age. Uh, so that's, you want veterans, you want rookies, but you also want to evaluate your company's traditions, the age of your group, the age of your company. Like, do your customs need to be mm -hmm. reevaluated or reassessed? Do you need to update your core values? Things like that. Motor, that's energy, that's personality. Um, <clears throat> we want different, we want that to be. So, it just so happened that all of that led to us having the most colorful picture department, but that wasn't the goal. It was just it wasn't the attention, and, but you 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 went with your plan and your approach, and that's how it turned out, right? Because it's it's a fabric of the quilt, man, right? And you didn't pick the threads; the threads came to you, and it came together. Correct, correct. Yep. No, we talk about all the time, like when, when Mike and I hear about companies struggling with diversity. If we can make it work in NASCAR, Adam. No one really has an excuse not to make it work. Right, right. I mean, talk about, it. I mean, NASCAR, the perception of NASCAR, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, white role America, right? I mean, how do you change that perception, man? I mean, listen, I mean, let's talk about the Bubba Wallace uh, situation for a moment there. NASCAR is banning the Confederate flags. Like, is it changing, right? The, the, the times are changing in NASCAR. What's your take on this, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, the we we there's a lot of performative activism going on right now where it's a trend to kind of say hey we're black lives matter all lives matter we're for the rainbow you know and and it's like okay that sounds good but what are the actions that are going on behind that and we've actually been in 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 some really intense conversations behind the scenes with nascar corporate um what they're doing they've been a little quiet lately but their mission is say, hey, we got to fix the house first. We got to make sure that we're doing really good stuff and feel really strongly about where we are in our own building before we reach out to the teams and the fan base and the drivers and things like that. So there is some mandatory training that are going to go on this offseason before we start in uh, Daytona in February. And that's never happened before. So I actually really do believe changes is happening. No, that's that's fantastic. So let's dig into the book here. We're going to know the show, 12 Second Culture. Pick it up wherever fine books are sold here. Um, but you guys talk a little bit about, you know, modern day employees and the concept and the idea of being broken. Let's let's break that down a little bit. What does it mean to be broken as an employee? It means walking through life every day, you know, like especially with this new generation, right? Like everyone slams millennials all the time. I love them because they are purpose over purse strings. You can no longer incentivize them. You have to care about them. And if you want your, your organization or your business to really take flight, again, we go back to intention. You have to be intentional about that. Um, you know, again, I think you, Mike says it all the time. You can be, and Mike, you might have to help me. You can be two of three of these things. Under, man. Undervalued, underpaid, or underappreciated. But you can't be all three. Right. And the thing is, is we're seeing more and more that we, we treat our employees like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you're limited on budget. You know, sometimes you can only pay what you can pay. Uh, I know for us, you know, we talk about efficiency. We talk about power equals work over time. You know, the amount of work that you can do in the short formula, time. but the, but the work's the work. If you know, I can't necessarily always change that, but value, I, can, I mean, that's free. 
I mean, it tells me nothing to care about people, right? Love that. So if if we can't <laughs> if we can't pay the best or give people the most time off, we better be damn good at at caring about people. And and I think that's the thing that we missed. I think a lot of people kind of grew up in the era. My dad did. Hey, the way that we showed you that we cared about you or that you were doing a good job was to give you a raise at the end of the year or to give you a right. bonus or to pay you well. And I think people have just uh, assumed that that is just a part of doing good work. It should um, be table stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of, you talked about it earlier, you know, uh, beer on tap and coffee stuff. Those are amenities that has nothing to do with your actual culture. No, no, not at all. I mean, go back to your, your, your pre NASCAR days. I mean, do you, do you remember like a situation where like you just didn't feel valued and, and that kind of helped motivate this whole movement? Oh man, I, it's in the book. You, um, I, I'll ruin it for you, but, uh, I tore my, told you I tore my ACL twice and I went to my coach one day and was just like, Hey man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm back, you know, I'm ready to play a little bit more than what I'm doing now, you know, what's going on. And long story short, he just said, Hey, you, you got hurt. We lost another kid. And uh, I made a promise to the guy we got to that. He would be my starter. He was signed at another school. I got him out of his contract no. scholarship to come here. And I made a promise I'd play him. There's nothing I can do. I got a meeting I got to run to, but I'll see you out in the field. And it took me probably a decade to actually figure out what happened to me in that conversation. But we talk about this kind of progression from going from renting to owning to authoring to, you know, to authorship, right? Like we want to push people on that journey here from not just, hey, I'm just leasing this culture. I'm just leasing this program or this company. We want owners. We Own want it. people that dive in and fix issues. When something's wrong, don't fail me. Try to solve it first. You know, try to collaborate with other people and build something and make something make lemonade out of lemons. And then get to the point where man, now you're actually are writing your own programs. Like you're actually progressing and and I went the other way. <clears throat> I came in as a an owner. That's my personality. I got to where I was playing well. I'm creating my own future as a football player and I get hurt. And then I kind of work my way back wanting to go from owner back to, to being really competitive. And I function like a renter the rest of the time, because what I heard in that moment was, is that I wasn't valued for who I was. I was just a number, you know, right. I, my effort wouldn't make a difference. So why, why put it out? And I think that's where a lot of people are. I think they feel like they don't want my brain. They just want my productivity for this box. And I think that as humans, we are wired to think outside of that. We're wired to push. And we say all the time, you know, fleas will <clears throat> kind of jump and jump and jump if you put them in a cup with a lid on it. These things are made to soar. They, they Fleas don't fly. They actually can just jump really big, like jump, like the Incredible Hulk. But if you put a lid over it, it'll jump and jump and jump and hit his head enough to where it won't jump to hit his head. Yeah, and if you, analogy, off, you take that lid off, it'll never jump out of that jar. Something created to fly. And that's me. That's you. That's Sean. All of us. But we yeah. get in these roles where we get limited and and we think that's OK. And I think that's just where a lot of people are. And, and part of what we want to do is make sure that people keep jumping. And Adam, my, my undervalued moment was I played for a coach and uh, after camp, he went in the paper and said uh, the biggest disappointment of camp was Dartmouth defense and Sean Pete. He came to camp looking like Captain America, but played like Miss America. So that oh. I, didn't, I didn't feel like really valued in that moment. So that's mine. <laughs> oh, that's that's a that's a tough one, man. So 
why why should anyone who why should anyone pick up this book who should pick it pick it up and why why should this be in everyone's hands Leaders that want to inspire human brilliance. It's, it's that, it, it boils down to that. Is, and, and leaders, when I say leaders, leaders is, has nothing to do with a title. If you're in your company and you're leading at whatever spot you're at, you can become a better leader by picking this up. You can improve your team by picking this up. We'll come to your business. We'll bring the race car to the parking lot of your business, put the guns and the tires and the gas can in your hands and let your team operate like a pit crew to show you like, hey, this is what happens when we talk to each other. This is what happens when we care about each other. This is what happens when we allow a rising tide to lift all ships, right? One of my favorite quotes is, um, from abundance, I took abundance and yet abundance remained, right? So many of us are reductionists, like I got to get mine and it's going to come at the expense of- It's a scarcity mindset. It's scarcity mindset. It's debilitating. You got it. Absolutely, Adam. Absolutely. No. So you guys will roll up and you'll do trainings to companies who'll roll like if it's within like, you know, if you're not in the middle of New York City, right? You'll roll up with the car and like show people how it's done, show a team where, and then you'll do like team exercises. Absolutely. And if I you're would good, love that, Adam, that'd be you awesome. Google, That's fun. Google Red, Bull pit, Google Red Bull pit stop on New York uh, in Times Square. And Mike and I are both in that. Red Bull got fined a ton of money oh, for doing that. Shit. But yeah, we've gone to <laughs> they Dallas. Got money. They got Red Bull money. It's fine. We've been, we've gone to Dallas, Orlando, all over the country, and we've been in the parking lots of Marriotts to the parking lots of businesses. So yes, uh, I'm telling you, once once this COVID bullshit is over, man, if you guys go up to Poc- next time you're up in the Poconos, man, I'd love to meet you guys up there uh, and and check it out. We got we got a house up there, so let's bring it home here. And there's a series of questions that I love to ask all my guests. This is my masterclass, man. This is my mastermind. I love to hear from my guests here, Mike. What does the word authenticity, authentic, mean to you? It's, um, to me, it's the only way, uh, we talk about the, the self-determination theory that talks about how you have to be authentic in who you are connected to others and incompetent in order to have any kind of success in life. I mean, that's, that's a third of your success is authenticity, right? It's so important that you own who you are. I say like the, the world around us, they're not necessarily looking for Adam. They're looking for what you have inside of you. They're looking for the gifts that you have, the unique perspective that you have, the wisdom that you have, the energy. Like they need that. And if you're not you, then we miss that. Oh, that's a good one, man. Sean, what's the greatest, the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Um, it, it, it's kind of based on something that Mike and I see all the time is that success doesn't reward the wrong person. And for the longest time, I struggled with that because we all have quote unquote, successful people in our life that we think, oh yeah, that guy's not the greatest human being. Um, and one day I ran, ran across a Maya Angelou quote and it said, success is loving what you do, loving how you do it and loving who you are while you do it. And I make sure all those three things are in line in anything I do in life because that is success. That's going to bed at night, laying your head on the pillow, knowing that I'm not doing this for a, 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 a ski house or a boat or for, like I'm doing this because I want to be happy in my life. So, yeah, I work on that just about every day, man. I love it. Mike, same question to you, man. What's the greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on daily? <laughs> uh, listen more than you speak. <laughs> I try to. It's hard. Try, yeah, it's hard, man. But um, I learned I learn so much from the most unexpected sources just by listening. You know, I think uh, I was in a conversation with a guy who's the COO of the, the – an NBA team. 
And uh, I was amazed at how quiet he was. Even It was a, a bunch of young entrepreneurs on this call. And we were expecting him to like just bring the heat. And he asked, asked us a lot of questions. And I was like, man, this guy is really accomplished. I need to I need to keep I need to keep listening. <laughs> I mean, for me, that took 40, almost 42 years to figure that one out. Right. I mean, I'm a blabbermouth. I guess that's why I, I host a, a, a podcast. Right. So when, when we talk when we talk about superpowers, right, we're not talking about, you know, Captain America over there and, you know, but and your super strengths or invisibility. But Sean, what would you say is your superpower that makes you who you are and, and stand out? I, I think uh, I think my empathy you know, I think I can feel when people are down and people need a boost and, uh, you know, it, it I, I can take on other people's emotions because I and I just don't want people to feel like that. And I think that's why when we go out into businesses, you can tell people that are just struggling in life. And that's why we're so passionate about this work. I want people to jump out of bed and they hit, the, you know, arrive at work being excited about what they do, because I've I've been blessed with this life and gone down these crazy roads and um yeah, I would say my my superpower would probably be my empathy. Did you always have this, right? When you were, you know, playing hockey and, you know, checking people into the boards and, yeah. and starting fights behind the net, man, were you always empathetic? Because I'm having a hard time believing that. I know, <laughs> but it's different on the ice. Like, the game is a game and you got to police the game, right? As long as I don't have a helmet and hockey gear on, I'm a really empathetic person. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about what about you, Mike? Uh, I, I always often see myself as a bridge uh, so that's just unifying and connecting people and ideas and networks, things like that. So <clears throat> I think this is in, uh, I feel like I'm in demand right now. I feel like the world that, you know, the distancing and politically, socially, racially, like everything is pushing people away. And, and I, I don't know, I, I hate it. You know, so I, I work really hard to try to try to bring people together. I love it. That's that's awesome. And, and guys, what advice would you give anyone out there who's thinking about writing a book? It's scary. It's a lot of work. What say advice yes. would you give them? Say yes. Just say yes and figure it out as you go. And call Build Stephen Copeland. And call Stephen Copeland. That's the person we wrote it with, and we, we always laugh. Like he had to, he had two idiots with a dozen concussions, uh, ha having to listen to them for two months. So that would be my piece of advice. No, that's that that's awesome. And you know, we like to end on on a positive note here. But and I think it's important for all of us. You know, whichever direction we're going in life is to really have that GPS to really have that compass in that direction. So I'm going to ask each of you guys, you know, at the times you were at your lowest and you were struggling and Mike, when your ACL was torn a couple of times and you thought your passion and your future for football was down and you had to pull yourself up. And Sean, when you were, you know, bounced out of the hockey league and, you know, you thought that career trajectory and that career path of being in the NHL was over and you had to pull yourself up and dig down deep and find that tenacity burning inside each of you. And then on the flip side, when we're sitting here at the end of the year 2020, having this conversation, and I'm listening to two gentlemen here that have their shit together, that get it, that understand how to build teams and culture and really doing something special here, and you want to show gratitude. Gentlemen, what are your North Stars? Whoever wants to go first. Um, North Star, man. <clears throat> I think, like, my the, the quote that I've got, Sean and I, it's in the book. It's, uh, it's the... Uh, Stonecutter's creed just says simply, when nothing seems to work, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at a rock as much as a hundred times with nothing to show. And yet I know that at the hundred and first blow, the rock will split in two, not because of the hundred and first blow, but all the blows that came before it. And I think there, is, we say all the time, like fortune, it just favors the brave. Like you, my North Star is that I just have to remind myself to be courageous. I'm not a great speaker. I'm not a great writer. I, 
was injury prone. Uh, there's no reason for me to be where I am or have had any kind of athletic career. Um, but I just kept showing up and I just kept striking the rock as best I could. Some days it wasn't very hard, <laughs> but you know, you slowly over time, man, if you're persistent and you believe in, in who you are and, and how people support you, um, you can do incredible things. That's awesome. Wow. Sean, how could you beat that? No, I'm probably, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm usually second to this guy. I have been my whole time with him, um, especially in the weight room. But uh, for me, it's just uh, an undeterrable work ethic. You know, um, hard work has gotten me everything in my life. I was not a good hockey player, worked my way into this, worked my way into NASCAR. Mike and I have worked extremely hard at the coaching thing. And um, your willingness to go after something lies in direct proportion to your passion for it, right? And if you have that passion – when you meet things like failure and all these all these other things, they're just a a bump in the road. You know, they're not the they're not the stop. And and I think that if you're willing to just work and gravitate towards failure, you know, you become you get closer to human brilliance every time you do that. Sean, say, tell talk about how like aiming too high and oh yeah, that. yeah. One of the things, and we'll leave it at this, Adam is is. Uh, you know, our Navy SEALs, they had the two Navy SEAL guys, and like they did, like Mike said, they called us 40 percenters because we're all capable of so much more, all of us. And one of the things that they said that has always stuck with me is that it's not that we aim too high and we miss. It's that a lot of us aim too low and we hit. And we think that's, that's the upper limit for us. And nothing could be further from the truth. All these self-limiting beliefs that we allow other people to put on us and we put on ourselves. If you can shatter those and understand what those are weighing in on you, you'll realize that we are capable of so much more. That's big. I'm going to end it on that note. Gentlemen, this has been a fantastic conversation. I urge everyone to go out and pick up the book, 12 Second Culture. We will link it below. Um, I want to thank both of you for spending some time with me, sharing your stories. I look forward to continuing to build our relationship, our friendship. Thanks, Brad Richardson, for connecting us. Big props to you on that one. Uh, I'm looking forward to feedback and everyone checking out this show and I hope you value it. Where can folks find you guys? Where can they connect? Where can they learn more? Where can they get the book? Yeah, uh, the book. So we haven't made a big release yet. It's uh, www.12secondculturebook.com. So it's just, we're running it through our publisher right now. Um, and then deck leadership on Instagram, Facebook, all the, all the things. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're small. We're two guys that are full-time pit crew coaches uh, and slowly getting into this business space. And we've got some great partners already. And uh, I think the sky's the limit. Well, I, I dig it, man. I like what you guys are doing. I'm going to help spread the word within my network. Uh, once we get out of this uh, COVID period here, when we could get back to being a lot closer physically, because I think this is an absolute asset for any business out there, team training, team camaraderie, and just showing how to do it. And I applaud you guys. And I want to thank you for joining me today. Let's continue this conversation for sure. Pocono 21, brother. We'll see you there. Yeah. Hang, hang, <laughs> hang tight with me for a moment. Awesome, guys. A pleasure. And everyone who has been hanging out with us for the last 38 minutes with Sean and Pete, I want to thank you guys. I'm sorry, with Sean and Mike. Um, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. You know where to find us, www.thepodcast.com, to catch up on all past episodes. Remember, take care of each other, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn.
and to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.